Welcome to International Tax Bites, a series of conversations around issues and concepts in international taxation. I'm Graham Jackson, and I'm a Gibraltar and English solicitor with Hassan's international law firm in Gibraltar. Today, I will be speaking to my podcast partner, Harriet Brown, who is a Jersey advocate and English barrister with Old Square Tax Chambers in London. So, Harriet, here we are for another, yet another episode of International Tax Bites. Uh, yes, another episode of International Tax Bites. And today we're going to discuss a, a somewhat niche topic, but it goes to the core of our specialist subject, doesn't it? It goes to the talk about um, international exchange of information. It does indeed. And how that interacts with money laundering, anti-money laundering AML legislation. Yes, precisely. So... Specifically, we're talking about the interaction of the OECD, MDR, which is the Mandatory Disclosure Rules, regi- rules I nearly said regime, or, or otherwise known as DAC6 Hallmark D. And they're pretty much synonymous in the UK, aren't they, and Gibraltar? So what, as you know, Graham, because you shed tears over it, as I recall... <laughs> The UK was going to enact DAC 6, which is uh, legislation that emanates from the EU. Yeah. Um, even when we said, we're going, to, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, even though Brexit was all decided and we were just waiting for the final countdown, as it were. And it got to New Year's Eve 2020? New Year's Eve 2020? Yeah, that sounds right. Yes, um, because nearly 2021, yeah. Yeah, and... It was suddenly announced, oh, no, we're not going to enact DAC 6. Um, we're just going to have mandatory disclosure rules. And I think it, it sort of, Gibraltar's an even more unusual situation, isn't it? But we'll come to that in a minute. And so what the UK has ended up with is sort of this, this fence sit where our legislation is essentially worded in the same way as DAC, as, as, as the one hallmark of DAC 6 that we've adopted, um, but you're supposed to interpret it in accordance with the MDR and the MDR's commentary. Now, they are very similar, so probably there's not that much that's going to slip down that that gap, as it were. But um, it, it's quite an odd situation, and the legislation is not straightforward on that basis. In Gibraltar, you have an even, even more complex situation there, I think. Yes, so um, we have a un- very unique document, um, which is the... Known as the... There. Something is unique or not unique. It can't be very unique. Okay, you're very annoying. Um, <laughs> please. Both both <laughs> annoying and very annoying. Um, <laughs> um, it is a unique document. Thank you very much for the grammar check. Um, you'll be putting Microsoft out of business. Uh, so it's a unique document and it governs the relations uh, between... Gibraltar and uh, Spain in connection with things like this. And that mandates that Gibraltar will implement DAC 6 in its entirety in connection with um, matters that concern Spain. But for the rest of the world, we just do Hallmark D, which is the Hallmark that you're talking about, and we too interpret it in accordance with MDR. I have not seen any I couldn't put a cigarette paper between MDR and Hallmark D uh, one. Um, 
Do you still do D2? Is it just D1 that's in place? D2 is just is the rest of the MDR. It's the non-transparent yeah, it's just D1. Arrangement. I think I'm pretty sure it's just D1. Okay. Um, Hallmark, D1's the one we want to talk about, which is which is good, isn't it? Then. <clears throat> well, it's the more straightforward one, so I would say yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's the one we want to talk about in relation to um, AML legislation. So I think before we move any further forward on this, what is, I think it is important to say is that there's quite a close relationship between obviously reporting and aml so just going back to sort of like the the the, the parents of the modern regimes which of course the crs and fatca um well i suppose fatca is a bit like adam and crs is is eve made out of fatca's rib isn't it but yes um going back to crs and Graham's <laughs> just shaking his head at me well the u.s well, what do, what do we call the UKC dot version that was around for a little bit and disappeared? I don't know. The Where does that fit in the, the family? <laughs> Cain and Abel? Don't know. Um, anyway, so if you go back to look at those, they make reference to the FATF documentation, don't they? And to the FATF recommendations, which are primarily to do with AML. Yeah. So that's fair. Well, yeah, so so the, the definitions are linked, aren't they? Very, very much so. And so I think it, it's it's almost a Venn diagram situation, isn't it? So um, not all AML is going to involve tax. Not all things that you aren't reported on for tax are going to involve um, money laundering. But there's a big overlap. And it's that so it's that evasion overlap with, a, with AML that... Um, I think is why the fact for recommendations come into what into the definitions, for example, as you've said in FATCA and CRS, or certainly in CRS anyway. Um, and so there's always been this relationship between the two different areas. But let's let's just think it's important to know that they do overlap. And I think even to your um to your point, I think, if I remember rightly, CRS start the starting point is that you go and look at the AML data you've got right yeah broadly speaking before you do any more new kyc you just go and look at what you've already got and see what that indicates yeah Yeah. so so aml gathers data that things like crs and uh, fatca then rely on but that is not the is not the main gist of, of where we are so do you want to tell us what hallmark d1 says harriet um Yes, I'd be delighted to. So it requires intermediaries uh, to make reports in certain circumstances. And the certain circumstances are the following, and this is a quotation. Uh, You need to report any arrangements which meet criteria, which are an arrangement which may have the effect of undermining the reporting obligation under the laws implementing union legislation or any equivalent agreement on the automatic exchange of financial account information, including agreements with third countries, or which takes advantage of the absence of such legislation or agreements. And then this lovely wording that is also very modern, such arrangements include at least the following. First one, use of an account, product or investment that is not or purports not to be a financial account, but has features that are substantially similar to those of a financial account. 
the transfer of financial accounts or assets to or the use of jurisdictions that are not bound by the automatic exchange of financial account information with the state of residence of the relevant taxpayer, the reclassification of income and capital into products or payments that are not subject to the automatic exchange of financial account information, transfer or conversion of a financial institution or a financial account or the assets therein into a, a financial institution or a financial account or assets not subject to reporting, use of legal entities, etc., that eliminate or purport to eliminate um, reporting of account holders or controlling persons, arrangements that undermine or exploit weaknesses in the due diligence procedures used by financial institutions to comply with their obligations to report financial account information, including the use of jurisdictions with inadequate or weak regimes of enforcement um, of AML legislation or with weak transparency requirements for legal persons or legal arrangements. So essentially, what it's aiming at is you need to report an arrangement. Want to report. Yeah, you need to report people who are deliberately trying to avoid being reported. Yes. But not only that, you need to report any arrangement which might not be deliberately trying to avoid reporting, but which has the effect of undermining CRS, right? Yes. There's an arrangement which may, which may, not even does, may have the effect. So it's quite a wide net, right? It is, yeah. But essentially what you're what you're looking at is undermining the legislative intent of the CRS. Yeah. Uh, okay, right. Now, the legislative intent of the CRS, what is it? The CRS is designed, if I'm correct, uh, and I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm not, in the first instance, to catch people evading tax by hiding money in jurisdictions which will not tell the home jurisdiction about the account. Is that the primary objective, do you think? Yes. So um, CRS has always been clear that it's going to catch more than evasion, but evasion is what they're really after. And right. evasion is really the use of, 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 of non-home jurisdictions. Yeah, because, I mean, it's 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 difficult to understand how it how it could be aimed at anything else because it is about filling in information gaps, right? The legislative intent is essentially to stop people utilising jurisdictions which um, do not exchange information in order to um, hide money which has not been reported or to not to not declare interest and essentially it's an anti-evasion regime in the first place right? yeah. and evasion as you once told me um, on one of these podcasts and if people want to go back through it they can find you slap me down um, evasion is a crime in almost all jurisdictions in the world I think the OECD actually say that, to be fair. Yeah, but I was specifically thinking about Spain, which has got a de minimis rule. The point that I'm trying to make is that Hallmark D1 is aimed at is aimed at revealing behaviour which is most likely to be criminal. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, so in now, so doing... It's also going to reveal a load of other behaviour that nobody's remotely interested in, potentially. And some people might want to conceal their ownership of assets, right? Yeah, quite. Because 
I don't know. We 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 wrote that article, didn't we, for for Liberator, where we where we imagined sort of I don't know uh, a, a political part a part a political party leader in a less than stable non democratic country, which is in CRS, may not want his bank account in a safe haven jurisdiction to be revealed to the authorities. Oh, exactly. So just to show that there are other, I mean, less less likely than um, hiding the money from the tax man, but just to show that there there are imaginable situations in which um, trying to put arrangements into place uh, have other explanations. Now, what do you need to do under, is it, do the UK call it Proceeds of Crime Act as well? They do, yeah. Yeah, POCA. What's the, as everybody knows who works in um, fiduciary and legal services, there is a thing called a suspicious activity report. And what's the obligation to make a suspicious activity report? Shall we use the English law? Um, we can do, yes. So there is, an, there is an obligation to make such a report under Section 337 of the Proceeds of Crime Act. Um, and I think what we're most concerned with here is Condition 2, which is that somebody has information or other matter which causes the discloser to know or suspect or gives him reasonable grounds for knowing or suspecting that another person is engaged in money laundering. Okay, and money laundering is very widely drafted, right, as a definition. It's disposing of proceeds of crime in yeah. any way. So so if you've interest earned on a bank account which exists because of tax evasion, is money laundering, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, in our scenario where the person has a bank account in a jurisdiction that doesn't do CRS and deliberately puts it there, if they're not declaring that income to their home authorities, then there's a good chance that it's a proceeds of crime issue. Exactly. So you should make a SAR. Well... Who who are you in this scenario, Graham? The the um the bank. If they've got a Hallmark D one problem or an intermediary, say, who introduced to the bank. Okay. Or a fiduciary that's got a company that they say, Oh, I want a bank account in wherever. I'm not gonna why, name any. Why names. do they sound like a dirty old man <laughs> saying they want a bank account? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I that's imagine just... a tax evader sounds like. That's how you spot them, apparently. <laughs> Should be easy then. Um, so that's um, that's thrown me. So the let's imagine our, ta- our tax evader says, "Open me a bank account in this country that's got no CRS." Yeah, and a vanishing yeah, or more has no exchange relationship with their home jurisdiction is more probable. Yeah. Than- this scenario yeah so they can they can do that within crs can't they um both jurisdictions would be in it in crs but they would not exchange with each other exactly yeah yeah um because as we know crs is not universal is it it's uh a 
a series of bilateral arrangements underneath a multilateral convention. That is exactly what it is, Graham. Because there's nothing like a very complex thing when a simple thing will do. (laughs) Why do they... Why do they do that? Why don't they just all exchange with everybody? Not everybody wants all of the information from everybody else. They do there. I mean, that's part of it as well. But quite why it's not a you've got to exchange with everyone unless you that you opt out. I mean, you just think you just thought an opt out would be easier saying, yeah, no, don't no thanks. We don't want your information. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, to be fully effective, a tiny jurisdiction needs to go and enter into agreements with a hundred different jurisdictions when they could it doesn't make any sense there should be some sort of central hub anyway um so that does that lead us to the conclusion that whenever you see hallmark d1 you should make a sar i don't know graham where does it leave you i think you should at least actively consider it so um a bit of background to this is that graham and i take slightly different approaches on this yeah don't we graham yeah. Um, so what's your approach to it, Harriet? So look, I, I I think I understand where you're coming from, I think, which is that people, not that people aren't making enough suspicious activity reports, but that people are making too many D1 reports. I, I don't No, I don't think I'm as sophisticated as that. I think I'm just saying that if you if you if you are suspicious enough, no, if, if you spot a CRS an arrangement which undermines the legislative intent of CRS and the legislative intent of CRS is to catch tax evasion mm-hmm. and tax evasion is criminal. And Pocker says you should make a report when you are suspicious of criminal activity or money laundering. Yeah. Which uh, we, we decided this is then mm-hmm. I don't know why the next step doesn't follow that you should make a SAR. Because while the purpose of, Hallmark D1 might be said to be to identify that. What you have to do is look at the wording and the words are broader, in my view, than um, activity, which would be uh, criminal. You could you could fall within one of those limbs of Hallmark D1 that I read out earlier because I haven't, you know, memorised it. Um for a variety of reasons that have actually got nothing to do with evasion. Um, And you would still, because of the broad way in which the MDR and Hallmark D1 are drafted, you would still be in a position where you would need to make a report. Now, knowing all the circumstances, you as the intermediary may well say, well, yes, I'm going to have to do an SAR, not an SAR, I'm going to have to do um, a report under MDR or DAC 6, but that doesn't mean that I need to do an SAR because there's nothing about this that makes me suspicious, in short, that um, someone's trying to evade tax. See, I think that's where we diverge. Okay. Because I I think that if I have... um... If I have actual knowledge, right, that it is not for tax evasion purposes. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know that he's the head of the democratic movement of unity in some country in the middle of nowhere that's got an evil dictator that will seize all his money if it's okay. revealed to him. Then um, then I know, I, I have no suspicion that 
it is for um, criminal purposes. Yeah. But if I have no information either way, and I know that the obje the objective of CRS is to reveal criminal behaviour, then I must at least have a reasonable suspicion that this is the reason why it's being done. And so, I think that's the difference between us. Can we try this on for size? Okay. Say you're sitting here in a common law jurisdiction, as we both are, I think. Yes. Um, and you start from the normal principles of statutory interpretation. You don't go to the purpose unless the words are unclear. Okay. So you don't. So say I'm sitting here um, and I'm looking at my uh, MDR criteria. And uh, what I'm forced to report on is. Is. Um, predefined hallmarks of aggressive tax avoidance. Um, and D1 tells me, say, for example, that I've got to report where there's something that may undermine um, the CR CRS. And I know um, the one I'm looking for is the one, oh, yes, assets that you don't have to report on. Well, so there's a house being bought. As an intermediary, I must, I must at least know that because I've got KYC, I've got information. Yeah, but you don't have to make a report in that situation no, of a house. No. Yeah. I, I know you don't, but on the on the strict wording, you should. But the commentary says you don't have to. Right? Yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry. So so just put the commentary aside for a minute and let's use right. the, let's use the house okay. example because it's a straightforward one with assets that we understand where it's obviously not I mean well, I don't know. I'd have said buying property was rubbish money laundering, but actually, probably quite a lot of money launderers do launder into property. So it I tends just, to go up in value as well, right? I just don't know the right way to do it. But no, so so, so or I don't know. Um, yeah, let's you let's stick with the house. You've got the house. Um, you know that that's not criminal. You might also know that it's not aggressive tax avoidance but it is strictly within the words of hallmark d1 right yeah so if i mean and yeah putting the commentary aside it's only really the commentary to, that tells us that we don't have to do that but whatever um you'd have thought they could have put that in the actual legislation um uh, you, you may have uh, anyone listening to this who's listened to us before may know that i and i think it, possibly graham as well has a deep frustration with including stuff in commentary, uh, which is nowhere, whatever in the actual legislation. But we've got a house. Um, and we're, we have... we're exploring that in an article that is now half written. Oh, good. I'm pleased to hear it. So Harriet's going to do the fancy bit once I finish my bit. So in those circumstances, you're straightforwardly required to make a D1 report. So you make your D1 report. What there is giving you reasonable suspicion? Nothing there is giving you reasonable suspicion. So the idea that that you I, actually, actually, I think that's just wrong, and I think the the example is a poor example, even though it's included in the commentary. Buying a house does not have the effect of un, and and will not have the effect of undermining CRS, which is designed to reveal the existence of money in accounts in different jurisdictions. If it's a house, it's not money in an in an account. It's a it's the example is only used to show 
that just because there is no report does not mean there must be a D1 report. Okay, give me a different example then. Well, I can't because I don't agree with you. <laughs> give me a different example of something that you say is within D1. Okay, so actually I can give you I can give you an example of something that's within D1, which um, <clears throat> you deal with Goldman Sachs or insert name of large bank, right, in Switzerland. But you know the man who works the, the desk in the New York office. And you say, I don't want my account to be held in Switzerland anymore. I want it to be held in New York because I know him. Mm -hmm. Now it moves outside reporting. That money disappears from the CRS report because FATCA isn't CRS and it's not reciprocal. Do you make a D1 report there? Well, so I think we possibly differ slightly on the analysis of whether or not FATCA is equivalent because it's the equivalency that is the question. And I agree there is a big question around that. I don't I, and I understand what the commentary says. I also know what the HMRC commentary used to say. Um, and so uh, FATCA is sometimes reciprocal. It depends. It depends Let's imagine it's friend. not. Let's imagine it's not. Because sometimes <laughs> it's like it's difficult to have a thought experiment with sometimes. <laughs> I'm not very good at this, am I? I, I like <laughs> facts. Like something to apply to. Okay. Would I would I make a D1 report there? Well, would you make a D1 report there? Mm, no. Okay, so let's see. Would you consider making a D1 report there? Yes. Under which limb? Um, I would consider and reject hold on. So I can... Well, it would just be um, one. It would not be one of the A, B, C, D, E, F. It would be limb one that the arrangement has the effect of undermining the reporting obligation because the money would disappear. I would consider it and I would reject it. Now, I know for a fact that that is a scenario very close to things that have happened in real life and a report was made. Okay, and I'll tell you why I think a report was made or why in those circumstances I might, and I don't know what those circumstances were, but I might have said, yeah, make a report and this is it. So... What you're reporting on is an arrangement which may have the effect of undermining undermining the reporting obligation. It then says such arrangements include at least the yeah. following. It's an open list, I'm right? I'm not done. I'm not. I'm not done. I'm not done. The hands are getting involved here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the transfer of financial accounts or assets to or the use of jurisdictions that are not bound by the automatic exchange of financial account information with the state of residence of the relevant taxpayer. Is that the one we're in, we're under, really? I think it might be. Uh, it's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. So, but so, so say we're under B. We've transferred this to a jurisdiction that doesn't have to exchange information with uh, home jurisdiction. Fair enough. Um, and the question comes, you say, well... You read, you read a, you read the the limbs, the open list. Such arrangements include at least the following, as being well. If it doesn't have the effect of undermining the reporting obligation, then you don't, um, then you don't have to report, irrespective of whether or not it is within one of those examples. Yeah. The other way of reading, the other way of reading the list is to say that. 
while that doesn't stop other things being within one generally, what it does do is it says such arrangements include at least such arrangements. Right. Include, it deems anything that does that to be within one. Right. OK, so this is going to be very, very boring, this section, um, as we and argue over individual words. What does the word use do in that limb? The transfer of financial accounts or assets to or the use of? Sorry, hang on a second. That imp what? implies where some are, design, doesn't it? Where are you on my previous analysis? I think it's wrong. I think, no, I I, I think that you can... It, it... Don't make me bring out my statutory interpretation cases, Graham. <laughs> I think I think that the that the inevitable outcome of that is that you report all the time is that you report all the time. And that's not what's intended. Right. Isn't so it? why it, does it say that? I don't. Well, in my head. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. No, no, don't 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 do that barrister face, because just like you, I am not finished. Yeah. Barrister face. Oh, for God's sake. Right. Go on. Finish. Um, If you're talking about. So that means then. That any transfer of any money to an account in a jurisdiction which does not have an activated exchange relationship is reportable under D1. Not just to, to the US, but if, I don't know, Jersey doesn't have an activated exchange arrangement with Norway, a transfer to a bank account in Norway is automatically reportable. I know, of course it does, right? But I'm using neutral jurisdictions, right? Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Not all jurisdictions have got anywhere near exchange relationships with all other jurisdictions. Yes. So that is a potential way in which things can be slipping through the gaps, which is why you have this, potentially. So you're basically you're saying the words at least means any of these. And then if if it's something else that has the effect of underlining, undermining. I said I'm saying that the words such arrangements include the following. That's what I say uh, could be read as making uh, as making these deemed to be something that has the effect of under which may have the effect of undermining the reporting obligation. Um, so such arrangements include the use of an account uh, that's not a financial account, but really is. That to me is potentially a deeming provision, and I think that I think one might have a stronger strong case on that under English law, for example. Um, the the at least says, look, we're deeming these things to always be something that may have the effect of undermining the reporting obligation, but we're not. Um, but we're not saying that there aren't other things as well. Look, and I'm just I'm spitballing here, if I can use that delightful phrase. Um, yeah, so I think that's one way of reading it. I can see your way of reading it. I just think mine's better, Graham. <laughs> I'm but, you all, but you always do. You always do. No. So you say that like you didn't know what I did for a job when you met me. Um, now the really interesting thing about this, right, is that bit that made nearly everybody in the world turn off. Yeah, um, that we've just talked about there. That's not part of our original plan. That is not the point of this podcast. I'm really sorry, but it's important. But, but it's no, you shouldn't be sorry because the point of this podcast is to expose that what appears to be very simple in legislation. It's not very simple, and it is not written in such a way that a trust and company service provider in a small jurisdiction with a team of 50 people has got any hope of understanding. 
or being able to explore the inconsistencies that arise yeah yeah so i think it's i think it's important that we talked about it but let's return to the path have we <laughs> back to the path have we resolved that you should or should not make it or no not should not is not the right thing but i i am still of the position that a sar that's a suspicious activity report not a specific anti-avoidance rule um should be actively considered every time you make a d1 report because there's at least enough so i'm not saying you've got to report it but there's at least enough to make you go through a process okay and i think now after all that we find that we actually probably agree <laughs> which is that you should always consider it but I think so to, take, to go back to the analysis that we've just gone through in, in, and apply the, the SAR position to it. So what I'm saying is, is if you say that anything that was is in with, within that A to F, that non, non-exclusive um, list, is, is deemed to be something which may have the effect of undermining the reporting obligation, you may well know that it doesn't do that because you understand the background to the transaction, et cetera, and there's nothing suspicious about it and you don't need to report it. Yeah, but it should definitely be considered. I mean, some might say that you should always be considering whether or not to No, make... no, no. No, I'm going further than that. I'm saying oh, it, should, it, should, it should be a trigger a trigger event. I know how the, how, how the internal workings of, um, of TCSPs <laughs> are, that there are a series of trigger events that, ma- that make compliance step in automatically, right? So... I think a hallmark D one report should automatically be a tri- should be a trigger event for for a review of the position. That would potentially be very sensible. Yes, I think if you're if you're reporting under D one, you're you've obviously got a concern that something is going on, um, and yeah. so you need to do that analysis. So yes, I think definitely it they are closely enough aligned. We've got that, and as I, I think as we said at the outset, the sort of this Venn diagram overlap between what CRS is aimed at, and therefore what MDR is aimed at, revealing the avoidance of, and um, and um, anti-money laundering. And so once you're sort of into this, you are into that, often you're going to be in that middle section. I think we can agree on that, can we? We can. And for me, but you see, I think that's the often is the word. Often for you isn't suspicious, to, isn't far, isn't certain enough to push you over into almost default position of making a SAR whereas for me it probably is but I think it's only a matter of not that much between us right a matter of degree I don't think you should always be making a SAR I think that would be a gross overreaction um well an overreaction <laughs> but you know me I like the extremes of things yeah um so I think that would be an overreaction but yes I completely agree that if you're making a D1 report definitely have in mind why the basis for making that d1 report does not i'm just finding the wording um cause you to know or suspect or give you reasonable grounds for knowing or suspecting that another person is engaged in money laundering and what we've done is we've created a whole whole new world of pain for people who are considering making sars and can't tip off whereas an mdr or a dac6 report isn't subject to tipping off rules is it no so sorry about that guys (laughs) it's genuinely one of those areas because obviously making a well making either type of report is quite a big deal because you are 
if not into, you're at least standing on the border of nefariousness. <laughs> but yeah. it that way. So it's probably something that is worth taking advice on, to be honest. We are av- we are available. We can be with you within the hour. <laughs> other other lawyers are available. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think the conclusion that we've come to, which we which we sort of summed up before, was and the point of this exercise is to take a piece of legislation that has consequences for people in their real lives, real everyday lives. Um, you know, failure to make a SAR is a is itself a criminal offence. It certainly has very serious consequences. Consequences. It will have consequences for licensed entities and things like that. Um, Making a SAR can trigger things. Making a Hallmark D1 report can can trigger investigations. CRS reporting triggers investigations or is used to trawl through investigations that are already going on. I think the point that we're trying, the ultimate point we're trying to make is it doesn't seem like these bits of legislation are properly considered as to how they interact by the people that draft them. Would you agree? Um, I would. The only thing that I would say is that I do accept that it's very, very difficult to um, to draft for practical usage where um, it's, it's hard to work out what scenarios are going to fall into your legislation while you're drafting it. That being said, sometimes you get legislation and you wonder if people have even tried. And I'm not saying that that's this sort of legislation. I'm just saying that happens. I think that even though they're linked, they're actually pretty much working in isolation to each other. I'm not sure the FATF send a team in to review what the OECD OECD are doing about their new... When you say you're not sure that they do, do you mean you're sure that they don't? Well, I wouldn't go that far either because I'm not actually involved, you you know... Listeners, please write in and tell me I'm wrong. But right, I I I I, I doubt it. Um, anyway, I think that if anybody's made it to the end, they should be commended. I'm very sorry about the um, attempt at statutory, well, at legislative analysis in verbal form. <clears throat> and um, should we do a bit of housekeeping while we're while we're here? Should we talk about this? insane plan that you've dragged us down harriet how to design the perfect international taxation system your, eight your faith, episode epic your, your faith in me is touching graham thanks for that. um yes let's so because we've talked to some really interesting people and because we have some work that's been really interesting as well um and because we now have an international tax system which has sort of grown up since the mid to late 90s primarily without a great deal of discussion about whether or not if this is the way we want to do or indeed with any discussion really is this how we want to do it do we want to participate in this if we are participating in this is this the right way to participate in it the OECD has sort of become the de facto sort of international tax body and I'm not sure that anybody, well, I don't know, but it seems like a lot of jurisdictions have been dragged along. And I think with we're now sort of seeing things like BEPS. We started seeing multilateralism with things like CRS, and that didn't directly affect sort of what people were paying into any system anywhere in the world. But now with BEPS, that's a complete sea change. It's, it's so different. 
Um, I think it would be really useful or really interesting, primarily really interesting to discuss this with um, people who know a lot more about it than we do. And so that's what we're attempting to do. Can there be anybody that knows more about anything than us, Harriet? I mean, this is a shocking revelation. I think yes, yes. Lots of people know more about this than us. <laughs> so who, can you can you give us some names? Okay, so I can. So the, the sort of things we're going to be talk about talking about, we're going to be talking about do we need a an international tax system? And we're going to be doing that with Dan Needle. Right. Of Tax Policy Associates fame, I think it's called, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we're going to be talking with who should about who should participate in a global tax system. Um, and we've got a great guest there, but we're just finalizing that, so I'm not gonna not gonna say too much there. Um, we're going to be talking about how different sort of types in inverted commas of jurisdictions interact um, and how they currently are um, accommodated in the international system and maybe how that could and should change. So we've got an episode on small nations, one on large nations and one on developing nations. We've got some academics, we've got some practitioners. Um, and what, I'm, what I love about that little trio of episodes there is we've got people from all over the globe. Um, we like having international guests and we've got some great international guests there. Uh, we're then going to go on to talk about what, um, what, uh, oh, we're then going to talk about what a global, about whether or not we should have a global tax court. And we have got a returning guest. First time ever. First time ever. Peter Deitch. We can <laughs> announce him because he's said yes. <laughs> Um, and so this is this is a really interesting concept that Peter's written about in the past. Yeah. So in in Catching Capital, he proposes an international <laughs> organization and a and a court. And I think well, I certainly am going to watch Harriet and him enjoy watching Harriet and him discuss how beefy that court should be. Um, <laughs> I think Peter and I possibly differ a little bit as to what ideally an international tax court should do and who should have access to it. Um, well, you just think an international tax court should make you a judge, right? That's the limit. I just think I should be in charge of everything and then it would all be better, at least for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a really simple outlook. It's sort of akin to that of a two-year-old. Um, and then in the last episode, Graham and I, so at the end of each episode, we sort of ask our guests... What are the what are the what are the really essential bones of an international tax system that we either have or that we don't have that we need? And I think we're going to take those answers. We're going to put together everything that we've learned, and then we're going to tell you what tax system we've designed and whether or not it looks like a camel or a donkey or a horse. Have um, we mentioned Thornton? We haven't mentioned Thornton, so we've already recorded one episode with the amazing Dr. Thornton Matheson, um, who we had just an amazing time recording with i can't believe we got somebody from the imf i really cannot believe i know she wasn't speaking for the imf and that's very clear in the intro but i can't believe that somebody from the imf came to talk to little old us i know thornton who is an incredibly if you, if you don't know her she is an incredibly knowledgeable and experienced economist and she basically just came and gave graham and i a really kind lesson didn't she <laughs> she did she did and and where i look silly she smiled sweetly and tolerantly. <laughs> but she was amazing. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah we, we've got some absolutely fantastic guests we've got some fantastic episodes and then in in a departure from fantasticness you've got graham and i pulling it all together at the end to see how, how close we are to having a perfect international tax system and what we can do about it and i think personally graham and i that's probably nothing but you know we, we've done our bit we've pulled together some great minds to talk about it so somebody said on when we announced this on linkedin somebody said in fact it was glenn Fullove said ex-president of the chartered institute of taxation we mix with the stars we really do <laughs> um said oh i'll be very interested in, in in seeing where you arrive at on whether um high net worth individuals should pay a minimum tax uh wasn't planning on arriving anyway. uh, no i think <laughs> we should i think we should we should do a standalone <laughs> episode about the the current flurry of activity uh that's occurring around that kind of thing papers being published and i mean i think there's a there is a really interesting question so far the real focus has been on massive multinational corporates um and of course there is significant wealth held by individuals and the extent to which similar systems are needed and or will work for individuals it is an interesting question. I think you've got rights-based questions, which arise in the case of corporations, but may not arise. Sorry, we're not doing this right now. Anyway, very interesting question. I agree. We've, we've got a couple of we've got a couple of other normal episodes coming to keep you uh, keep you going while we are getting on with recording with all of our amazing guests. Furiously record things on a Thursday afternoon. That's what we're going to do. Um, so, Harriet, this has been actually really fun to record and probably not to listen to. <laughs> Please don't abandon us for good. We promise not to yeah. try to um, interpretation will, like this again. Yeah. We've never done an episode like this before where we've actually act, had an active disagreement between us um, that we've played out for your delectation. Um, so we hope it sounded okay and it didn't just degenerate into, well, if you look at this, this the, the, the case law refers to this. Yeah, hope, hopefully it wasn't like that. I think we were both a lot politer than we are when we know people aren't going to be listening. Yeah, yeah, we are. We were. Right, so obviously because we didn't come to a conclusion this is not advice and it is no substitute for advice in the relevant jurisdictions and you should take good solid competent advice when you're doing tax related things do not rely on what your mate said in the pub um so the golf club yes the golf club um that's we've lost all the golfers there so this is not advice this is just a conversation between two people talking about tax thank you very much for listening And it's really good to be back recording after such a long time, Harriet. It really is.